I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Royal Automobile Club talk show in association with Motorsport. Now, today, as you will see on the video, I'm joined by former Formula One driver, Le Mans podium finisher, British Touring Car Championship race winner, 1976 Grovewood Award winner, uh, TV personality and Twitter voice on the 2017 Formula One regulations. Tiff, a very warm welcome to the, to the club today. I'm honoured. I'm feeling very tall after that wonderful introduction. Well, I've, I've um, forgotten <laughs> half of what you said then. That's good. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, um, race winner. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad I got it all right. Um, at least we're going, getting off on the right foot. Um, now, for those that don't follow you on Twitter, um, they should, because there is a lot of opinion on that. Um, I've, I've, I went onto your profile, and I've actually pulled off some of the tweets that you've done recently on the 2017 F1 rules. Um, I'll just read some out. Uh, this uh, is more grip equals better racing, question mark, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Have you not noticed most entertaining races happen when it's wet slash dry, question mark. Um, and then another one here, don't care about five, being five seconds faster, but really looking forward to seeing who has made the best out of the new rules throughout the field. And then I'd, one of my personal favorites, uh, if you allow me one more, Todd says we ha can't have louder engines, engines as it'll upset people. We have to have engines with road-relevant technology. F1 is doomed. <laughs> so I, I think everyone listening will see where this podcast is going to go, where it's going to go today. Tiff, um, tell me, t why are you so against these regulations at the moment? Well, just the regulations aren't leading to better racing. I mean, I think that everybody wants a better show. And I think this is what we're trying to make it more exciting. And I think most people that reply to my tweets, apart from the ones that say I'm moaning too much, um, you know, we want a driver's championship. We don't want a manufacturer's championship. I was talking about one of my other tweets is saying I should say when hybrids go to Le Mans, Formula E is electric. Let's get just petrol turbos back into Formula One on its own. Because, you know, the manufacturers are the more important with these hybrid engines so you know we want racing engines that drivers can race for the whole length of the distance and tires that they can race so i think we almost have to make the regulations simpler to allow the drivers to be more important yeah so uh, just to sort of to refresh everyone's memories the cars are are going to be near four to five seconds a lap faster and that's not down to having particularly more power that is down to more downforce cars being wider 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 tires so more grip um doesn't so there's actually a question here that i was going to come to these later but um it's from stuart who who's asking why do you dislike aero and f1 it's the main part more grip equals better racing hence 90s and 2000s fan numbers I, I, think, I think you're going to disagree with that, aren't you? <laughs> well, that was the guy I tweeted back to, I think, oh, when, <laughs> pointing out that uh, all the really exciting, dramatic races we've had over the last two or three years have been when it's wet, dry, wet, dry. You know, full rain breeze a bit processional because, you know, they, they can't get so close. But those amazing races when someone's out on intermediates, someone's on slicks, you know, it's when the grip goes down that it's entertaining. My rule of thumb was that, that a sport is only success if when you watch one car go through a corner... You go, wow, 
you know, Lurkop at South Africa tested this famous crested corner where almost every driver appeared on an armful of opposite lock, whether it's Jackie Stewart or Ronnie Peterson or Keke Rosberg. And you went, wow, when you saw that car go through a corner on its own. I remember, amazingly, back just two years ago, watching GP2 qualifying at Monaco, and it was wet. And you saw these drivers manhandling these GP2 machines around Monaco and just watching one car you know, going through Casino Square and struggling for grip and traction, the driver working away. It was fantastic. Now, he was probably driving 20 seconds a lap slower around Monaco than if he was in dry slicks. So I think, you know, you want that entertainment. You want to see a driver working. And the more aero you stick on a car, the more it's glued into the track. And the laugh of it this year now, they've got so much aero, they're all going to run out of petrol. And they've given them an extra seven litres. They're now going to run, what is no 10% more full throttle each lap. They've got the extra drag. They've thought about this and given them more fuel. But I don't think from what I've read, some people, it's not going to be enough. So we've now got these cars there was that another tweet can, actually, go, yeah. can go five seconds a lap faster, but we'll now have to lift off because they're all going to run out of fuel. I think you used a hashtag fuel saving mode. <laughs> yes, <that's laughs> yes. So I want to bring it back to where you can see the driver working, you know, and I think that's where the area has. I love the big wider tyres, more mechanical grip. Uh, I'm not an aerodynamicist, so I don't know about how to get, you know, more underflow, you know, more of the ground effect that I think people say, let's have, have more ground effect and less uh, aero that is so spoilt by cars following. But how do you uninvent decades of ah, aerodynamic that's the invention? Problem. That is no, the huge problem. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, on Twitter, they want this, you know, they think we should have a free rule book, you know, but they don't think that Sounds through. expensive. Yeah, expensive, and, and one person will come up with something that goes around corners completely on rails, you know, and you'd have... I mean, everyone says we have to be at the forefront of science. As I often point out, so forefront of science surely includes ABS brakes and anti-skid and automatic braking, EBDs. So we've got these things on road cars, which we have already now banned from Formula One, because it's three things that have taken away driver input. So already we're no longer at the forefront of technology. We have to forget this being at the front of technology. That's the whole problem in the brains that, that a lot of people seem to think we have to chase. But for, Formula One should be the most technically advanced no, racing series. Not no, it's gone. No, we can't do that. It's because technology is so far ahead of us. My my favourite tweet is just to say, "So you want autonomous racing?" Because that's where technology is going. So we follow that, do we? Yeah, I suppose the weakest link of a car is the driver, isn't it? Yes. If, if ultimately, if you... But so the way science and technology is going, we can now drive the cars without a driver. <laughs> so yeah. that's why I say I've got to bring it back to a driver's championship. That's why I say let's encourage manufacturers to go to Le Mans. If they want hybrid technology, they want to go ahead in technology. Let's encourage world sports cars to be that area. Because when you say who won Le Mans, you say Porsche, Audi, Ferrari. You don't say a driver's name. When you say who's the world champion, you say a driver's name in Formula yeah. One. Yeah. So let's try and create that stronger link between the manufacturers go off to Le Mans, if that's what they want to do, Toyota want to go there. And if you want to go Formula One, it's, it's more of a driver's championship and you make a more of a customer engine. Interesting. I think you made this point on Twitter that Honda is in IndyCar racing and there isn't any hybrids and they, have, they supply loads of engines. Uh, yep. But there's no hybrid technology there, the and they field. seem to be quite I happy know. with it. Well, this was the big bluff that came along. The problem is that the teams, if you go back to the eras that we loved, it was all racing teams that then bought an engine, whether they were Tyrrell or Williams or BRM, who made their own engine, of course. But now, of course, it's this the easiest money comes from manufacturer. This is where McLaren 
lost their manufacturer money because sponsorship is so hard to find because the costs are so high. So the top teams now look for a manufacturer to be involved to pay their bills. They want the manufacturer's money. So we were all persuaded that we can't get the manufacturer's money, i.e. Honda for McLaren, unless we use road car technology. So we were almost pushed into, oh, we have to have the hybrid engines, otherwise Honda won't pay Ron Dennis's bills. And that was virtually why we had to have hybrids. Yes, I've said, you know, Honda are quite happy in America to run spec petrol turbo racing engines. So it was a bit of a bluff. And so I think we've got to stop teams having this obsession with, with using manufacturers' money and doing what manufacturers tell us to do. Yeah. I mean, I guess that comes back to actually how the sport is run as well and having the teams... Well, Todd, you know, as I said, that yeah. Todd tweet, you know, he, he wants the manufacturers involved, he wants them to pay the bills, but I think that is almost causing us the problem, manufacturers paying the bills. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to put, I'm going to, um, put you on the spot here. And uh, Tiff is suddenly in charge of Formula One. Um, and you're making the decisions for you know, upcoming rules. Uh, let's, let's break it down to, so, engines. What, do you, what kind of engines do you want to see in Formula One? I think you can be fairly free. I mean, it has to be just petrol. I think turbos are obviously the way to go because that's, that's a little bit of road car technology because everything's got a turbo now. Um, so, you know, turbocharged petrol, you know, have whatever cylinder you want. I think there will be a petrol limit. I mean, obviously be generous in your fuel consumption so they're not all struggling. But I think there's only one way to rule is, is you've got so much fuel. And so maybe some people will still run out of fuel. That is embarrassing, but that would be an accepted part of the sport. But the problem now is that they're not even filling the cars up in Formula 1 because they've worked out the quickest way to go from A to B is to start with less fuel but run less throttles. So I mean, that's, to actually make people fill the tanks up. So you'd have yeah, to put... Good, yeah, it's a good idea. You have to put it yeah, in. Yeah, you have to put the fuel in. So then yeah. you'll start with the same weight. Um, I'd maybe give them regulation front and rear wings. So these are the front and rear wings. I'd give them all the same brakes because braking technology has gone too far. I'd yeah. have less efficient brakes, you know, but need longer braking distances because they're just not as good at brakes. Mm. But then let them be free with the sort of whole virtually the rest of the car. So right. give them front and rear wings, same brakes... Maybe a you know petrol engine at a fuel capacity, uh, and then be fairly free. So, and then so are you a fan of uh, the idea of a budget cap? Well, I think budget caps should be self. If if we made the rules different, um, because the second thing is to cut out all that communication from car to Oxford from Japan. I mean, it's just ridiculous. With the people say we haven't got the budget to race, and then they show these films of you know ten engineers looking at a screen in the garage in Japan, and ten engineers looking at a screen in the back of the office. In so I mean, just all that computer, the money they spend, just to have all that technology going around the world is mind blowing. So I think you could come up with some rules that stop them spending too much. Um, but I think a budget cap itself is almost impossible to police, yeah. isn't it? I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think especially for companies like Ferrari, do you have various different well, I mean, of course parts they'd, to... Yeah, they'd have more money the from the Liberty, hopefully, the smaller yeah. teams would have more but, money. But I think but the teams would spend the money. However, you know, if, if so Tiff in, now in charge of Formula One, you've said you, you're not allowed to this, um, the pit-to-car communication bar, some, you know, some yeah, warnings. Some basics, yeah, yeah, some basics. Um, they would then take that money that they save from the front wings, the rear wings, that, and they'd spend it on some t- tiny little valve in the engine that no one's going to see. So I think they'd, I mean, they'd still spend it, wouldn't they? I know. I mean, maybe wind tunnels. I mean, Adrian Newey says you know, we could dump wind tunnels, so that could possibly be something as simple, a large Just rely expense. on drawing boards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only drawing boards and a pencil. But, I mean, but the trouble is, that little thing you mentioned, this radio communication, 
you know, we talk about battling with the teams because the teams have so got their heads stuck in the sand. It was all that fuss. Was it Force India when the brakes were running out in Austria last year? Yeah, and and the team yeah. said, oh, we can't tell our driver that he's about to run out of brakes. It's dangerous. From the last lap, was it Force India or someone fell off? I can't remember who it was now, of, but They ran yes, out of brakes. Yeah. And so they, they moaned about the regulations not alone. So I'm thinking this, too. hold on a minute. So the car has told the pits and probably the whole lot of people in Oxford as well that it's about to run out of the brakes. Well, surely the car could also via a great big red light on the dashboard have told the driver. Danger imminent. Yes. <laughs> so all that fuss, we couldn't tell our driver it was running out of brakes. Well, surely you just put a little big lamp. Brakes gone, you better stop. I don't think yeah. they're called lamps anymore. Though, why they? why they're the car had very to tell... LEDs. <laughs> the car had to tell Oxford, and Oxford couldn't tell the driver. was bizarre. So, um, But the fact that teams come out with things like that to get the regulations back when they want them is terrifying. Yeah. Are you looking forward to this season? Yeah, I love the, I always look yeah. forward to every season. Yeah. I mean, I mainly look forward to the Linter team rivalries. That's what gets me going. I love yeah. looking forward to how will Palmer go against Hulkenberg. You know, I love yeah. actually looking at the midfield people and the, the clashing between the drivers like Red Bull, looking at how Verstappen's going to go against Ricciardo this year. So that's what I like best. But the actual racing just frustrates me rather yeah. a lot at the moment. Yeah. So um, well, hopefully these tyres last longer, but I'm now worried they're all going to run out of fuel. Yeah, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because Mark Hughes wrote a piece online about the tyres, um, and he said they, they are much more durable. And he, he said that obviously the problem with the tyres before was that if you if you got them too hot, you, they would never recover. So you do always just driving just below this limit. But apparently now, the, what they wanted were tyres that you could then, if they got too hot, you'd have to back off for a lap or two, but then you'd get back on it. But I think what they've done is they've just made more durable tyres. So we're looking at kind of one-stop races, possibly. But then the aero, it's the aero is the problem. If they yeah. can't get close. I mean, it's why you know, too many corners, circuits we're not really looking at enough. We seem to have forgotten that circuits are badly designed in a lot of cases. There's so many circuits like Road America. Everybody, not Road America. The Americas. What do they call the, the Grand Prix of the Americas? <laughs> road America, of course, is a fantastic <laughs> racing a circuit. I was, I was thinking, oh, Formula One cars well, around the Road America. It's America. They put too many never-ending corners. So although to drive, and the drivers love it, you know, that first series of turns from, what, one to nine, I think, is yeah, an amazing challenge. Sweeping, right? yeah. But, of course, with the aero, you drop back about four car lengths. You then hit the big straight and get your DRS on, and you just catch up the four car lengths. You still can't overtake because you've begun the straight too far back. Yeah. And I think each circuit, you need about sort of three overtaking spots per lap. Because so often now you get the one spot a lap. So yeah, you don't the, do the, him the on one lap. The, you've got to wait yeah. another lap, you know. And, but I think we've got to take some of the twists and turns out of the some of the existing circuits, almost to rule them. Okay, put a straight in between A and B. But they hate the straights, doesn't the old Tilka loves all lots of twiddly <laughs> bits. And then the worrying thing about so, Tilka, so, I worked out because I kept on saying, like, if you look at some of the circuits, he always has one huge long straight and then never-ending turns where, of course, you can't follow. And I suddenly realised because he was a racing driver and he loved Nurburgring. He raced at Nurburgring, and we sort of thought, oh, flipping well, if he loves Nurburgring, he's got to be a proper driver. But if you actually think about the dear old lovely Nürburgring, which is a fantastic thing to drive around, it is one great big long straight, followed by never-ending series of corners. <laughs> I mean, you saw the Porsche, you know, 911 Porsche, the Carrera Cup, when they race around the Nürburgring, they can't overtake for a lap. Yeah. Also, there's, there's long parts of that track that is one line. Yeah, one line. So, I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, when it's mixed classes, like the 24-hour race, you know, they're overtaking in outrageous places. But if a one mate with very equal, uh, you know, the touring cars go there, the world, the world, world touring car championship, it should be allowed that title um 
goes round the Nurburgring, a little procession of little tin shopping trolleys until they come to the big long straight and then the Citroen overtakes all the other Hondas in one go. Wonderful racing. <coughs> now, just before we focus on some of the rivalries in 2017, um, it's the, it's, I've completely forgotten what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about, yeah, looking yeah. For, I still look forward to the no, Formula yeah. 1. So, yeah. well, I'll, I'll come back to what I was going to ask when, it's, when it finally pops up. Um, there's, there's so many questions popping up in my head, I'm just trying to organise them. Uh, you mentioned the driver rivalries, Hamilton and Bottas. Um, I, I don't envy Bottas, but obviously it's the best seat in Formula 1. He had to take it. How is he going to fare against Hamilton this well, year? Pick up a couple of Grand Prix's maybe when, uh, when, when Hamilton has problems. But no, he'll be close, but I don't think... I didn't think he dominated Massa enough, to be honest. I was quite disappointed. I remember the British Grand Prix two years ago, was when they were running first and second, and Massa was holding Bottas up because they got ahead of the McLarens, and you know everyone was saying, yeah, let, <laughs> let him by. But for some reason, Williams didn't give the order. But Bottas himself, was no, he's not quite aggressive enough sometimes in overtaking. I think he should have taken charge of that race and forced his way past Massa uh, and could well have won the British Grand Prix that year. So... He's very, very good, Bottas, but I think still there's something missing in his aggressiveness. If he gets more aggressive, then I think we could see a better Bottas. Mm. Do you think that uh, Formula One is a bit like MotoGP and that there's that top, top level of driver? So there's the Hamilton, the Alonso, arguably Verstappen, Ricardo, uh, Vettel. And in MotoGP, you've got the what they call the aliens. You've got Marquez, you've got Vinales, who's apparently right up there, Rossi, Lorenzo. Um, is that is that the same? And then the other is there a gap between the yeah, talent? Yeah, very much. Yeah. The, but the problem is the gap is no longer visible. I, I talk about this here. We, we've got the brilliant drivers and we've got the very very good drivers. Now, twenty years ago, you know, brilliant Jim Clark was probably a second or a second and a half faster in qualifying than the very very good teammate. Whereas nowadays, the difference with the brilliant and the very very good is just a tenth. So you yeah. look at the grid, you know, they're all, they're all two tenths apart. You get some useless Renault 3.5 driver, what's his name, driving a Force India, buying a ride in the Force India. He can't get in the top ten in a Renault race, and yet he's only, you know, one and a half seconds off the pace, you know, testing in Barcelona. Celis. Celis? Yeah, Ocon. No, Celis, no. the guy that's the Force oh, India. Oh, so the third driver. Yeah. 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 And he can jump in a Grand Prix car and be only a second off the pace. And... He, Formula One car, they're so easy to operate, to operate. So you can actually get very close to the brilliant driver, yeah. but it's only a tenth or two. So it's harder to see the difference. But yeah, you know, Hamilton is brilliant, and at the moment I think Bottas is very, very good. Yeah, you know, right, Ferrari okay. got two brilliant drivers, Ricciardo and Red Bull probably got two yeah. brilliant drivers now. So, so I, I was going to come to a bet that I made this year actually about Ricciardo and Verstappen, a um, very important one. And um, I have now remembered what I was going to ask you. Do you think we look back with rose-tinted glasses? On racing, because you know, you mentioned Jim Clark. He oh, won races by so. minutes. Yeah, I mean, very you know, much. And actually, so. and the- but I agree, we do look back. But what was my answer earlier? Well, a bit going. If one car well, yeah. going round the corner excites you, it doesn't matter so much if you know. If <laughs> in another couple of minutes, we'll see another, race, we'll see another exciting <laughs> car go through the corner. But on top of that, the biggest problem we have is that, is that the cars are too reliable now. This is a thing we forget, because the whole tension of the Grand Prix when they were processional, oh, but will Jim Clark's gear linkage last for the end of the race? You know, will Graham Hill's uh, BRM suspension wilt? So you always had that edge in the old days that I think makes us think they were more exciting races, because you never knew until the last lap whether they're actually going to get to the finish line. But yeah, certainly the racing was never incredibly exciting on many, many Grand Prix, but then 
you look at Villeneuve holding up a pack around Spain that year, yeah. and uh, there are still some amazing races. But again, because the circus, Monza, of course, was always a fantastic race because it was only about four corners. Yeah. So again, the very good drive. You could stay closer in a pack. Look at the touring cars, British touring cars. You've got Thruxton weekend. The racing around an old-fashioned, fast, flowing circuit is just mega. You look at something like a more complicated circuit, and they're all spread apart because there's so many corners that, of course, the field spreads. Yeah. So yeah. simplify the circuits, have less corners almost to keep the pack together. I'd have shorter laps as well for spectators. Really? Yeah. Shorter laps, more laps, spectators see the cars go by more often, the field doesn't get spread apart. But uh, mm. yeah, we do look at rose tinted glasses, but as I said, as long as the car looks exciting, <laughs> as long as the car looks good. sound, smells, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, you can see the driver yeah. working through the corner, you're yeah. excited watching him. Yeah. Okay, so there's this Ricardo Verstappen bet. Every year I have a bet with our art editor at, at Motorsport, um, and it's it basically he. I bet him in 2008 that Honda would win the 2009 World Championship. And he didn't pay up because he argued that it wasn't called Honda, it was called Braun. Um, so since then, we've actually had to write a contract, which has now spread to two pages because of us. I once paid him in uh, 1p coins. It's a £10 bet every year. And I paid him 1p coins. So this year, I bet him that I think Verstappen is going to finish ahead of Ricardo, and he's bet me the opposite. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I'll be right on the fence with that. <laughs> I've no idea. I mean, they're so equal. It'll, it'll just depend on the luck of the draw. And the fact that Verstappen won a Grand Prix that Ricardo should have won, um, you know, and Ricardo lost at Monaco, he should have won. A lot of twists and takes. They will be all over each other the whole year. Yeah. And um, I put them both at evens, to be honest. Yeah, they're going to be right. so close. It'll well, be, the, probably it'll be the luck of a weekend yeah. that will ruin your bet. Excellent. Um, Verstappen is quite special, isn't he? Incredibly so, yeah. I mean, you know. How, do, how does someone like that, I mean, I know I, I, someone, I, someone was talking about, you know, some of the young drivers coming in and how they're not prepared for Formula One. And someone else was saying, well, actually, when you look at the number of races they've done compared to someone like Raikkonen, who had only done, I think, 18 car races before he started a Grand Prix, um, they are amazingly prepared. But it, it's still amazing to see someone that age with, okay, he's probably not the wisest head on him, but he's... You know, super talented. It's depressing, but also. really. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit. It's, but yeah. I still always, I get up on Twitter, I, I, I always carp on about, I still want those youngsters to have to do GP2. Formula 2. Formula 2. Yes, Formula brand new, rebranded. And yeah. I think it's a shame to the public that this kid that only did one season of Formula 3 can be fast in a Grand Prix car. It's getting that image, that what I'm saying, that the you know the cars should be tough to drive and should look tough to drive. And I think if we if you look from the outside, of, well, a 17-year-old can jump in one, it's got to be easy. You know, instead of a gruff, hard, you know, Alan Jones, you know, <laughs> driving a Formula 1 car, looked like it was hard work. And so, you know, I'd love, I mean, everybody says, oh, yeah, but, you know, Raikkonen jumped through and Button jumped through. Well, yes, they did jump through. But if, you know, Verstappen had been a co given a contract that you will be a Red Bull driver in, I forget the years now, 2016, but you have to, because of the regulations, do one year in Formula 2, it wouldn't have harmed Verstappen to be one year no. later onto a Grand Prix grid. But I think it would have helped the image of, of our sport that he was forced to go through GP2. So I'd like to see that happen. But yeah. but no, but when that talent comes through, it, it's hard to hold them back. Yeah, no, exactly, especially if you're Red Bull. Yeah. yeah. So then another, not new face, because he, you know, he, had, he did stand in, but Van Dorn is also apparently very special. Um, yeah, huge I, fan of his through yeah. coming. But again, some lose that. Who was the other Belgian before him a couple of years earlier that won the Renault 3.5s? I thought looked good, but he didn't make it through. I've forgotten the name now. You're testing me. You're testing know. me. Anyway. But yes, it's great that he's made it through because he was one that should come through, you know. My favourite idea of the FIA is to buy the second seat, it was Manor now, but there's no Manor anymore, of mm. Sauber. Right. 
and the GP2 champion gets the second seat offered. So you'd right, have so a guaranteed who, so who pays for that? The FIA. The FIA's FIA, got right. stonking loads of money. They had 100 million of McLaren, didn't they, a few <laughs> years back? But if the FIA bought the second seat in Sauber for the next five years or whatever, next three or four years, your GP, he can turn it down, obviously, if he's signed up to Ferrari or someone else. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it'd be mega, I reckon. Man, publicity. If he wins yeah. the GP2 championship. And would, would Sauber, I suppose, I'll be happy with that because ultimately. Of course it's not. They take paid yeah. drivers, yeah. They know they're going to get a good driver, not rubbish. And this is what annoys me when you know a lot of people rubbish Jolyon Palmer or something. Oh, well, he only won it in his third year or fourth year. It doesn't yeah. matter which year you win it. You know, if you can yeah, win a GP2, you you're not rubbish. I don't think Jolien's a brilliant driver. I think he's one of the very, very goods. And mm. I think he'll push Hulkenberg. You know, he won't be far behind Hulkenberg, who is very highly rated. So um, yeah, I'd love to see that. Automatic yeah. promotion from Formula yeah. 2. Yeah, that would be good. It was, uh, funnily enough, uh, John Surtees used to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And having a, you know, on the way up, the well, winner the of Americans the championship. Americans do it. You know, they got their Mazda, haven't they? Their steps through yeah. um, Formula Mazda to uh, Indy Lights. And then on, did they have that sponsorship, that yeah. budget? Knowing the number of rules and regulations in Formula One, they, they'd find some way to ruin it, wouldn't they? There's, a, <laughs> there's always something like that. Um, so, looking at this here, what the other sort of big themes, uh, McLaren Honda, what, what has gone on there? I mean, the thing is, I think people understood um, when they first came to the sport, because they were behind all the other um, engine manufacturers, sorry, power <laughs> unit manufacturers. Um, last year, they did improve. But there's there's no excuse this year. What's what's happened? Well, they've just tried a new engine layout, and it just hasn't worked in the chassis. It must have worked, I assume, on the test benches of uh, Japan. But um, yes, yeah, not good. Turn to Cameron and say, "Well, Honda, you wanted to be in Formula One with a hybrid engine. Welcome to Formula <laughs> One with a hybrid engine." <laughs> Returns away from camera. <laughs> so, but if you're McLaren, I've heard they've talked to Mercedes. About supply well, that's the rumour, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got to do something. I mean, it's a disaster for them. I mean, they need sponsorship. You know, the trouble is if they lose the Honda money, then they need a big sponsor because Ron Dennis yeah. came and said, I'm not putting any names on my car because like, my sticker value is X and I'm not dropping my rate yeah. for, for sponsorship on the car. But um, they've got to do something. I must think Formula One must be losing the money at this rate. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? So I d we were talking briefly there about, well, there's also Lance Stroll, um, new guy on the grid. He didn't have a great time in testing. Um, I'm going to just rewind he you. Should be doing his year of GP2, of course. Well, all for, yeah, Formula 2. And then we'd yeah, see how Formula 2. And then we'd see how good he really is. You know, Daddy bought him. I mean, he's obviously a talented young man. You know, yeah. he's, not, he's not useless. But again, he's not even in the very, very good yet. He's, he's very good. Yeah. He's won a Formula 3. But he won Formula 3 in a, in a car that had been in wind tunnels and had extra suspension put on it. And, you know, had yeah. two teammates that were paid to drive to save him points. I mean, it was a complete prima power. A procession up front in yeah. Formula 3 so yeah. I'd love to have seen him in a GP2 car and I think it would have done him good he'd have learnt all the circuits learnt the Pirelli tyres that's the great thing about Jeep Formula 2 they learn the tracks and the Pirelli tyres so you know I think it, it's a shame that he's been pushed because if it does go a bit wrong in the first two or three races you know he, his confidence will go and then he'll get rubbished and you know but um, fingers crossed for him that he, it works out alright yeah. So I'm, I'm going to rewind you to the 1980 Belgian Grand Prix. And uh, you made the step up to Formula One um, at that race. And admittedly, your engine decided to give up after 12 laps. But what, I mean, you were talking earlier about how easy it is to step up to Formula One now. Um, but in, a, in terms of taking aside the actual driving part of it, the mental side of going from F3 to Formula One, what, what was it like 
then? Because it must have been, you know, sitting on the grid with all the big boys, it must have been quite daunting. Well, it was, but in those days it was just like a bigger Formula Ford, you know. We, we, there weren't all the managers, we had no managers, we, you know, there wasn't this huge pressure. And um, so, you know, I'd done Formula 3, then I'd done the British Formula 1, I'd raced in Formula 2, so I'd raced a lot of powerful cars. And so the step up wasn't big, we had ground effects of coming, we had sliding skirts, so the G-forces were, were growing. But, um, you know, I had nobody really talking. I was just me, and I was just little Tiff sitting on the back row of the grid, and, oh, that's Emerson Fittipaldi along, <laughs> my schoolboy hero. And when the mechanics left me after we'd started up the engine, I, I, remember, I remember actually singing to myself the Formula One Grand Prix theme. Because <laughs> I don't think I thought I should be there, you know, because it was a dream. You know, this was the kid that was holding on to the railings, you know, watching Jim Clark, watching Formula Ford, watching cars, you know, and then you know, I won a magazine competition, that was all a bit weird, and then I got Unipart, became a professional driver, but it was always, it was always just a dream, and then there I was, you know, I was quite happy with the end, so it was a shame it was a one-car team, you know, yeah. and I actually qualified the same as Regazzoni had qualified in the previous race, and uh, they wanted Jan Lammers, I knew Lammers was coming, so I knew I was only in there for a short time, but... Uh, of course, I qualified at uh, Belgium, didn't qualify at Monaco, and then tw 30 cars going for 20 places. Yeah. And then Lammers came in. He didn't qualify for about seven, didn't even get the top 24. So yeah. it was a rubbish car, but mm. for me, it was a magical moment. And I, I love the thought of you humming the theme tune. You know, how <laughs> I, do, I, I do now wonder what everyone, all the drivers are now doing. Pro they probably aren't humming the theme tune in their heads. Well, they've got to think about these flipping buttons. <laughs> have, I, have I pressed my buttons yeah, in the, the right order? Bites, Will it make the... a good start or not? Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. Oh, under the I mean, pressure now, the stuff they do with those steering wheels, unbelievable. Yeah, you know, and race at the same time, yeah, incredible. And I'd, I, um, I chatted to Lena Gage, who former Audi now Bentley uh, race engineer, and hearing from her the amount that they put through their software for in terms of race strategy, it's incredible. I mean, amazing the amount of detail and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's take that power steering away from them; that'll stop them pressing <laughs> little buttons on their little steering wheels. <laughs> but that's a lovely. All this sort of you know, oh, we had to make the cars faster because it was all it's not physical enough. You know, our drivers aren't sweating at the end of the race, so they've increased the g forces by having this extra grip. They're, they're pretending that's going to wear out the drivers. Well, it, it might a little bit, but you really want to wear the drivers out. Just take away their power steering. Simplest cure. If you want drivers to have to <laughs> work hard, boy, are you watching the yeah. IndyCar? They'll, they'll, they'll all look like Johnny Bravo by the end of the season, well, right? They, sort of trying they to won't be able to <laughs> fiddle around in their little steering wheel if they have to hang on to it for dear life. Yeah. Um, I'm just, just coming back, before we go on to the readers' questions, um, just coming back to this season, uh, I went out to Barcelona and watched some of the testing, and by the looks of things, Ferrari has closed the gap to Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. And reliable, that's the great yeah. thing. You know, Ferrari often, you know, I mean, nobody ever knows, you know, who's running light. I mean, Eddie Jordan, of course, is quoted about saying, of course, there's no scrutineers there, you know, to check Ferrari. <laughs> well, Eddie would know that because he he'd been the one that ran with no weight on at all to try and get some more sponsors conned on. Where are Jesus, my fastest in Barcelona? Yeah, but a totally illegal car, Eddie. But he's he's accusing Ferrari of doing the same thing, which right, I, okay. I don't think so much Ferrari yeah. would. I think uh, it's not like they need the, the no, sponsors. The sponsors. Yeah. You can imagine a, a down the field a Jordan of the old a Sauber of today running a, a, a quick car to get some sponsors. But I think it's quite genuine speed by Ferrari. They did a lot of laps. Yeah. Um, but McLaren, you know, um, they all say they didn't have a very fancy sort of bits and pieces on the car. More bits to come, maybe. So I th still think not McLaren, Mercedes. Yeah. Still say, I still say Mercedes and McLaren in one word, and it's a long yeah. time ago now, isn't it? 
But uh, I think it might, might soon be again. So <laughs> I wouldn't worry. I, I wouldn't try and stop it because you, you might just uh, might just get away I with that. I think Mercedes one. are going to be just about on top. But it's great that Raikkonen's come back to form. He seemed to be a bit more inspired last year. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I'm really excited about what happens. I think the Ferraris will be side by side. You know, Hamilton will be slightly ahead of Bottas. Then you've got the two Red Bulls right in yeah. there up their exhaust pipes. So yeah. uh, qualifying, I can't wait. Yeah, which is do you from a driver's perspective? Do you think Hamilton would have been annoyed? that Rosberg retired at the end of the last season so he couldn't get his own back this season. <laughs> knowing, knowing, knowing Lewis, he probably would be, would be upset, yeah. Yeah. Because, because, I mean, it was, it he'd like to get his revenge, wouldn't yeah, he? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I am the fastest driver in yeah. this team and I will prove it by kicking your butt this year. <laughs> I d someone, someone did say, it, it seems to me that he likes to win the championship with a min not minimal effort. That's, that makes it sound bad, but... Yeah, minimal effort, most drama. Yeah, it well... It's a bit of drama yeah. at the end, doesn't it? So it's, it's, <laughs> it's good stuff. But I love yeah. this. I mean, it's funny about Lewis. So many sort of uh, diehard fans, you know, all gone off him because of all his rapping and tattoos and bulldogs and stuff. They all moan when they all moan when Grand Prix drivers haven't got a character. I think it's great. I know. Then all of a sudden yeah. we get a character, but they don't like the character, so they moan yeah. now. But it's fantastic. Lewis um, is doing what he does. Yeah. But there, you look back at the, I think there's a photo of Ronnie Peterson on a podium somewhere in in a in a sort of a knee length fur coat. <laughs> you know, it's 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 below in Formula One. You know, um, so I just before we go into the readers' questions, uh, the the back of the grid teams. You, you mentioned Cyber. Um, obviously, you you know you had your experience with Ensign. What's What's Cyber doing now? What's what are they hoping to achieve? Just being there, survival, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, it's a shame now. We're down to only twenty cars, you know. And I like the old pre-qualifying days, and we used to have to turn up, you know, only thirty cars, only twenty got on the grid, and it was great for publicity. And I, I worked, I forgot what it was now. I think in my year, nineteen eighty, something like forty-two drivers turned up really? to try and race a Grand Prix car during that season. Forty-two drivers. Um, so lots of people had this moment of one race, you know, glory or one opportunity to have a crack. And the fact we can't run third cars, I find, you know, Mario Andretti, you know, the one-off drive, yeah. you know, in yeah. Lotus at the American Grand Prix. Spectators love that sort of thing, you know, a local hero yeah. given a chance. Or even this idea I sort of sometimes talk about of having a, a GP2 Plus. Right. Come up with a car that's two seconds slower than a Sauber or something and invite ten of them to come to every Grand Prix in the fastest six join the back of the grid and race you know yeah and um you'd have then more people getting grand prix drives more people turning up to to be on the grid and i think we need a bit of that somehow i don't think yeah. 20 cars is enough really for the public no i think we do we do need more cars what what do you think of ross braun's appointment do you think Lovely, he's, yeah, he's the man yeah he's, he's man definitely to sort man. Man. as yeah. long as he does sort them out i mean he's obviously you know, he's got these ideas mm. it's so funny i always remember that they, they had an overtaking committee well, not committee a word way back just before Broad's yeah, yes. the, the yeah, double yeah. diffuser yeah and I, I thought, that's great they can look at the aero because they've got all the teams together and and bizarrely I remember something quoted about after about four or five races when there's no overtaking as usual and they, they asked the committee why didn't all your great ideas work oh the double diffuser Apparently, that was the whole reason so why all their brilliant plans for overtaking were ruined yeah. by the double diffuser so in, interestingly we um, the very first uh, club talk show was with Ross Braun and Nick Fry sat just at the other end of this table and he was saying that at the end of 2008 or sort of near the end of that year he was talking about you know the downforce in 2009 they had a big uh, meeting with all the um, team principals and they obviously had a set percentage that they were supposed to be down on downforce in order to help the racing and he said to all of them he said look I just want to let you know we are far exceeding that and he said, but do we want to change the regulation? Because we are well beyond what where we're supposed to be. And no one believed him. 
<laughs> so, so on it went. On they went. Yes. And I just, I, mean, I spoke to Adrian Newey and said, if you, if you just chop the front wings off in line with the inside of the front tyres, how much slower would you be? And he said about five seconds or something. Five seconds? Yeah. So I said, wow. well, fine, do that then. <laughs> I mean, you just chop those ugly great front wings. Five seconds. I'd rule them out under safety procedures. The FIA can change a regulation for safety reasons only. They can enforce it. Right. Well, I think yeah. slicing open someone's so you rear tyre... You're, you're already finding loopholes and ways, yeah. ways to get rules through. Slicing open a rear tyre at turn one of a Grand Prix is dangerous. So if yeah. you've got... It's like having a knife on the front of your car. We'll, we'll ban them. You can't have that. We're just going to slice open a tyre. <laughs> They just yeah. It's amazing how little the impact is sometimes, yeah. isn't it? But Gordon Murray did allude to that. He said, look, give everyone also all these the stupid carbon fibre suspension, yep, with all yep. the flips and curves, just have Get rid of those. steel rods. It has to be metal wings yeah. at the front. Because and again, not only have you sliced open a competitor's tyre... You leave carbon fibre everywhere. Yeah, and everybody else gets punctures. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. Carbon fibre bits are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So ban carbon fibre front wings. I think there's a job for you. Crafted yet, aluminium. <laughs> Let's get the craftsman back from Lister Jaguars and make models, nice yeah, models aluminium and wings. And, yeah. Well, my wings were aluminium in 1980 on my inside, little front wings. Yeah. You can clatter into anyone with those. Yeah, they just <laughs> bend up a bit. <laughs> right, I must take some of these readers' questions because the, the readers have, have written in. Um, uh, one, from, one here from Tom Allen. Uh, do you think you would have liked to have tried Group B rallying? Well, I did test Group B's yeah. cars for, for Top Gear ages ago. And, of course, I'd done the Rally GB twice, once in a Group A Sierra Cosworth. And I've tested the the, the wonderful Imprezas. But I mean, Group B's were pretty scary yeah. things. What, when you tested them, but, what, uh, did they feel as scary all these years later when you tried them? No, I, I tested what was the last Impreza. It was a Metro 6R4. That was pretty yeah. wild. And the Audis, because they didn't really respond very much to what you wanted to do. They used to, used to, said to know what they were doing and go with it, I yeah, think. I like think the, the driver's experience, paper. yeah, hang on to this. But no, rallying's a wonderful sport. And, I'd, you know, again, rallying, I think I'd like bigger cars. I was saying we've, been, we've gone smaller, smaller, even the British Touring Car Championship was very exciting to look at. You know, I'd like bigger cars that are harder. When we did the Super Touring in, in the 90s, you know, they were four-door, four-and-a-half-metre cars, and now they're little hot hatches and... You know, rallying the the Toyota, the Yaris underneath yeah, underneath all that spoilers and wings. I do think tight. the cars look better this year. Yeah, but if they were no. bigger, yeah. they're harder, they're a bit slower around the corners and stuff. Bigger, heavier, yeah. more spectacular. See that what, word spectacular yeah, keeps coming in. What interesting? What are your thoughts on rallycross? Yeah, brilliant. Of, I mean, yeah. you know, but it's you know, wham bam. It's a bit like the world wrestling, the WWWWWC or whatever it's called of wrestling. <laughs> Because it's very wham-bam, thank you, man. I mean, it, it's pretty frustrating sport. I'd like to think driver. it's more real than some of the wrestling. Is oh, yeah, wrestling it's a, real? It's a genuine reason that wrestling, of course, isn't real. But it's wham-bam-bam-bam-bam, show business. And it's all over, you know. Um, it's a great spectacle, but it must be quite frustrating. Sometimes you get nerfed and pushed and shoved and sideways. And but um, That's what the, fan, the fans love it. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it is a bit artificial because you've got the, you know, the loot lap and all the yeah. joke, joker laps and things. Um but yeah, great entertainment, but short and sweet, and, and not a sort of real, you know, real racing man's sport. It's not. It's not Formula One. It's not Formula One, right? Um, I've got quite a nice one here from from Glyn Hall. Um, how did you get out of writing off your Crossley with that when you had already sold it? <laughs> so, <laughs> can, you just, can you just tell me because he's got amazing I detail. I didn't. It was the Eldon. Is it was it right? My, was it, it was my Mark Ten Eldon? Was that was that was that? Welsh Clandau. Yeah, so was he it? says uh, that was where your last race was in the wet. Don't remember the year, but do recall a young lady called Chrissy who rode her bike back and forth to keep <laughs> you in bitch, pies and cokes. Bitch, she dumped me. <laughs> dumped me. 
You didn't have to mention her, did you? I'm what, so why? sorry. It was going I, so well. I was enjoying I also, myself. Should I also mention that Rick Morris won the race? <laughs> no. <laughs> so tell yeah, me, so what happened? I, caught, I shunted it in the wet and qualifying. I was but you'd already day. sold it? Yes. Right. <laughs> no, no. So it cost me half my profit money to patch it up. Didn't have any money anyway. Bad weekend that was. Thanks. What was his so, name? Sorry. Um, thanks, Glyn. Oh, sorry thanks. about that. Um, well, it's for, for, uh, to, uh, while we're on this level, um, I'll just I'll, I'll go to another little moment you might have had. We've got two questions here from Ben Johnson and David uh, Hopkins, both asking um, really whether you've um, spoken to Nigel Mansell since 1993. <laughs> just just <laughs> for the listeners that don't know, what, what happens? Yeah, well, Nigel had this amazing touring car. He was invited to race touring cars after he won the IndyCar Championship the year after winning the World Championship. It was a big return to Donington. There were 100,000 people at Donington almost. And uh, no, he didn't qualify very well because he just wasn't used to me. He was piling through the field and everything. you could hear the crowds cheering. I was in a Top Gear magazine-sponsored Vauxhall Cavalier running a very happy third place because I'd been in this Nissan, which was slow. So I finally had a touring car that was quick and a straight and had Soper behind me in the BMW. I was loving it. And um, all of a sudden, Nige started looming in the mirrors. And uh, he barged past me, Redgate. He got me from miles back under the brakes. I thought I had him enough. He got Soper first. And he lunged at Redgate, clobbered me off the road at the apex. I was all four wheels on the dirt, coming out, swearing at him, plunged down the hill for credit. Soper got back past me as well, into the old hairpin. So I was now down in fifth. And uh, Nigel got this huge sideways on, you know, and he wasn't quite used to front-wheel drives at that time. So Soper slipped by on his left, because Nigel was quite obviously spearing off to the infield, as most cars naturally head. But uh, somehow he managed to get enough opposite lock on for it to bite. And just as I was about to go follow Soper through to the left, it spat him left. And he was just then trying to get a look on the other way, as you can see on the onboard. <laughs> and of course, he came right into my path. You know, I braked and tried to miss him, but I didn't. I clobbered him. And so he, he went sharp left into the bridge parapet and had a small accident. But people were accusing him of trying to kill Nigel Mansell. I was just trying to win. I think it was, it was a £12,000 prize. I'd never been in a competitive touring car. It was £12,000 to win. You know, I was in third place before he clattered me. He was probably paid a hundred grand just to turn up. And all the time he's moaning about me ruining his race. He's never yet apologised to me, have you, Nigel, about ruining my race and my chance to win £12,000. £12, you know how much that was to me? Eh? Hey? <laughs> hey? He, he did go to hospital, didn't he? But... but but I, I, was, I say that only because it was... Um, but it wasn't I think big Gow, but it wasn't my fault. That's the point. No. So but I, Alan Gow, we did a, a podcast with him in December um, last year, and he did say it was one of the great... It, you couldn't have written the story. <laughs> in terms of the next day's papers, it, oh, it no. couldn't, couldn't have been any better. News. But funny enough, he, he was at the London Motor Show. I'm the president. Come to the London Motor Show. Come to the London Motor Show. Oh, I've got to look at the camera for these corporates. <laughs> London Motor Show, early May. But Nigel came last year. We had a great interview, you know. He's, he's incredible. His stories are wonderful when you interview him. But of course, then I had to open to questions from the public. And I was dreading someone <laughs> asking just that question. Just that. And by right. some incredible bit of luck, nobody asked a question about Donington. But um, Nigel, I mean, he's, a, he's a fantastic, he's a great hero. And, uh, but he's just, he just has these moments when he blames everybody else for things that go wrong, which are his problem. But he's, he's been a fantastic racing driver for Britain. Always gave 100%. Yeah. Right, well, so having, having brought you down... What was the question? The, I forgot what the question was. The question was whether, whether you'd, um, he's spoken to you since then. No, we've never brought that up. But, you, you, but uh, you never, so you never talked about the actual accident? No. Really? No. Don't right. upset him. Don't upset him. Right, okay. Right. Um, well, at least you're on, on speaking terms. Yeah, that's good. Um, 
Now, it, uh, having taken you down to sort of the accidents and the bumps and crashes, let's, let's bring you... I don't have to read out your intro again, do you? Just to just just pull you back up again. Um, I'll take another uh, reader's questions here. Um, we, we covered the one from Stuart. Um, I like this one from Clark Duffy. Do you think you would have preferred any other... Any other time period to be a racing driver, maybe in F1 before slicks and wings, or racing at Le Mans Group Five cars, etc. Um, or do you, and then there's another part to this. Uh, do you think there's any car series you'd like to have raced professionally after you retired from top flight motorsport? Ooh. So sort of a, a two prong. Basically, question. I'd like to have been David Hobbs and Brian Redman and Derek Bell. I think they just magnificent careers. You know, I mean, Jim Clark was a big hero, or Jackie Stewart, or you know. Emerson Fittipaldi in the, in the mainstream. But I think actually the sort of life I've enjoyed most is the fact that I've been a sort of wandering, have helmet, wheel travel racing driver. <laughs> race, I've raced in Japan and America and loved racing in Macau and Kuala Lumpur and places. And I love doing all that variety of racing. And I think the sort of racing that Redmond and Hobbs did, you know, Hobbs did NASCAR and Le Mans and Formula One and Formula 5000. And they raced in some great tracks on some fantastic cars. And but of course, they all survived. Obviously, there is the negative yeah, side of the thing. I'd love to have been in that era, but you know, you look yeah. at Pedro Rodriguez and Joe Siffert, you know, dying in sports cars and stuff. Well, Siffert, of course, was Formula One. But um, I think they had a fantastic life. We'll still have you know, wandering around the world. And they're lovely characters. Yeah, and amazing stories. And just racing. I think it's the circuits I miss, you know, because when I went to Le Mans, you know, I loved the fact that I was racing on the same circuit that my heroes raced around, exactly mm. the same track, apart from the bits and bobs here and there and Goodwood you know I go back to Goodwood I'm racing yeah. the same track and so I love the big old circuits and racing where heroes would race whereas you go to some of the I've got my little Formula Ford now which I race a couple oh, of right, times a got, year yeah. oh, right. but I don't want to race it at the Silverstone National Circuit or even the brand short circuit which they've chopped up a bit you know I only want to race at the lovely circuits and yeah and the tracks that they did you know Montjuic Park in Barcelona yeah. and Nürburgring and a lot of the American circuits fabulous tracks yeah. But I all the, the ones you were mentioning sort of are tinged with, with the danger aspect. Because uh, and Red, uh, Redmond was saying that when he before he went to Spa, he used to pray the night before, yeah, that I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, just because it was Spa. And no, no, so, there was that element. Yeah. So I mean, but that. But you know, they did Can Am Formula Five Thousand. You know, yeah, I can see you in a Formula Five Thousand yeah, car actually. Big burly five liter. You know, yeah. it's, it's great. And I think they just lived in it. I think it's the tracks. So the Targa Florio. Imagine racing yeah. around there in a Porsche yeah. 908 Spider. I mean, just those ex the variety of experience. Yeah. You know, nowadays, you're just plugged into a computerized hybrid, you know, and everything's tracked electronically and you, you know the circuit by the back of your hand. And it's that variety of, that I would love to have, you know. Well, I had, I had the variety, but not yeah. as good as, as, as the Hobbs Bell and uh, yeah. Redmond had. Yeah. So then... It's, you mentioned that you race your your Formula Ford. Do you get to race some other some of these other cars? You know, you were mentioning that you would, would love to have been Redmond. I mean, if you raced a nine one seven or driven a nine one seven? No, I've driven nine one seven. Yeah, very briefly, a, a, a ranting thought. But nowadays, you know, some of these cars are so valuable. It's hard hard yeah, to get. Yeah, it's not to one you want to want no. to, to come across Nigel Mansell in, is it? <laughs> <And> <laughs> well, we talked about you know <laughs> testing me driving my old Ensign, which of course races now and historic racing this weekend at Silverstone, but. Um, yeah, insurance. You've got to, you know, the cost of the engine goes, you know. Yeah. Nobody knows it was my fault or the engine was going to go anyway, but all of a sudden there's a £100,000 bill. So sort of borrowing historic cars becomes uh, harder and harder to do. Mm. 
So what are you up to at the moment? Because you, you mentioned that you were obviously looking at the London Classic Car Show. Um, you seem to have fingers in lots of pies. The London Motor Show. So London Motor Show. Classic I'm one. I'm sorry. sorry. The <coughs> London Motor Show. We'll edit that. May. Um, first weekend of May. <laughs> Tickets still available. So uh, one might get the impression that you're slightly involved with that. Um, what else are you... Are you doing at the moment because you seem to be a very busy man you yeah, got no not enough I'm sort of this little, little bits and bobs I mean unfortunately fifth gear's not been recommissioned you know nobody seems to want to spend money on a normal car show you know channels now channel executives are looking for something razzmatazz and you know and so if you actually go to a young commissioning editor and say well do you want fifth gear it's a car show well, what's the jeopardy you know what's the angle well, no, it's, it's, it's a car show yeah <laughs> and we can't get it recommissioned nobody seems to want it you know and we were you know, money-wise, the new Top Gears—they're spending ten times per hour of television what we were having for Fifth yeah. Gear. So we could we could make you know ten shows for one of theirs, mm. but we can't get that recommissioned. So that's a bit sad. So do I do a YouTube channel? I don't know what to do television-wise. Yeah. I do my Thruxton rides where I take passengers. That's one of my fun. About three or four really? days a month, yeah. I got a BMW M4 down at Thruxton. You strap in the passenger seat with a camera, and uh, I take you for three laps, 140 miles an hour, I'll, I'll, drift I'll around the corners. Fine. Anyone can come, 145 pounds, <laughs> thruxtonracing.co.uk, book a ride with Tiff. <laughs> so I do that about three or four days a month and, you know, do afternoon speaking, awards, presentations, race middle car, charity golf, love playing golf, but really? don't play enough. Yeah, I love golf. Need to be. In fact, I had a great weekend. My three sports, I did three days on the trot because I like I golf. Saw, I, yeah, I saw it too, so My own triathlon. I did a variety club golf at the Berkshire. Then raced at Goodwood on the Saturday and then went to watch Southampton Football Club, unfortunately get beaten at Spurs on the Sunday. So I'm now very involved with three sports I'm right. fanatical about. Well, it's talking about d doing lots of different disciplines. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you carried it on. Right. Now, before we finish... Talk about football, just to do the analogy with Formula One racing, right? So I wasn't a big football fan, but 10 years ago, my boys were sort of 10 and 8. They said, we want to go to a football match, Dad. So I'm flipping hell. So I got some tickets for Southampton, which is near to us. But the first time I walked down to the ground with my two sons and their bright new red and white scarves, I thought, well, this is what dads should do. So we got involved. Once you get involved with a, a, with a club. Slippery slope. I know. It's like following NASCAR. You've got to follow a car, a number. You know, If you get involved with a team, your sport becomes more interesting. So now we're season ticket holders. We go regularly. But in the 90 minutes of a football game, I'm angry. I'm crowd, I'm happy. I'm cheering. I'm on my feet. I'm sitting down again. The emotions are flowing. You know, I have 90 minutes when I'm, you know, I'm involved. And yeah. I go home and watch a Formula One race. And I think, well, <sighs> fast forward. When's the, when's the end coming? You know. And it is, you've got to get it more involved, more exciting, so you're, you're, you're gripped a bit more. Things aren't so obvious. But is that, is that not something for touring cars? Because ultimately, Formula One cars, isn't it? you're never going to have the kind of racing you have in the British no, Touring Car Championship. No, it better. No, it's not yeah. as good. I mean, again, I watch the whole television. I watch the whole afternoon of touring cars on telly. It's fantastic entertainment. The variety is there. You know, we go to a Grand Prix now. We need the support races coming. I see Australia's actually got a GT3 race. Yeah. You know, 30, fantastic yeah. for the crowd. 32 Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Aston Martins. We've got to bring more support races back. Formula One, little things like the pit stop was ridiculous. His obsession with 12 people. You can't see a pit stop happening. And then yeah. this ridiculous well, 1. thing. 1.92 seconds. I know, well, that's, that's just not entertaining, is it? It's a scientific brilliance. And then they've got one box per car. I still don't know what were those logistics for manpower. So when you get these two people queuing, when you see a Formula One car queuing for a pit stop, you really want to shoot everybody. So have only six people per a pit stop allowed and have each car have a box of its own so they can both come in for tyre changes on the same lap. I think we, we have things in Formula One that I think to the average 
person viewing. Yeah, they're just, I don't well, think we're learning ridiculous. anything from doing a pit stop in two seconds. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas I love NASCAR. I see a man with a yeah, trolley running, jack running around, running around <laughs> the other side. And that's obviously a bit over the top. Yeah. I mean, my Formula One is halfway between Formula One now and IndyCar NASCAR. You know, I think we've got to come get some of the show that the Americans use. Maybe not the regulations as tight, but we've got to bring some show in. Yeah. Right. So we are sadly running out of time. Um, but I have got some some questions. We we asked Tom Sorry. Christensen uh, before, and we're going to try and ask every guest. I got Tom Christensen. Last lap of Goodwood. It made my whole weekend. <laughs> We were both in Rovers, and I caught Tom Christensen's up, and he'd held me off for a lap. And on the last lap, going into Woodcote, he blocked me on the inside, but just in between the two, he just moved to the left, and boom, I was down. It made my whole weekend. <laughs> I got Tom. I got Tom Christensen in a Rover on the last lap. <laughs> I love you, Tom. It's, it's great that the passion still still burns so brightly, um, and the and the competition as well. I always, yeah. always. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Tiff, you've got one car, one track. What are you What are you going to take? Where? Ooh. Goes back, I presume, probably to my favourite single seater car, which was a, a Tolman actually. But I was having my one off race at Hockenheim, a March seven eight two BMW. Uh, so that was before, just before Ground Effect arrived. Beautiful sliding driving car, um, and I'd probably take it to the Brands Hatch Grand Prix circuit, stay at home. Really? But Brands Grand Prix, beautiful, it still is, apart from a couple of corners that have been truncated. Westfield was ruined, or which ones Hawthorne Westfield? I never always get the two mixed up. But lovely track. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually racing there this year in, in, in an MGB. Get in well, there. I, I say racing. I'm going to drive around it. So, um, but it is a great it is a great track. It is really good fun. Um, right, who inspired you the most during? Uh, I oh, think, Jim yeah. Clark. Jim yeah. Clark. Jim Clark. Jim Clark. Jim Clark. Jim Clark and his Formula One car. Jim so, Clark and his Lotus Thirty. Jim Clark and his Cortina. On, on the fence then. Jim Clark rallying. <laughs> Jim Clark in NASCAR. Jim Clark at Indy. Jim Clark okay. walking down the pavement. He was brilliant at walking. <laughs> He was just a gentleman driver, and the natural talent he had was just supreme. And he and he did all the different races, and uh, fantastic. It, it, his his record is quite unbelievable when I you know. look at. It was basically, either he didn't finish or he or he won. Um, just amazing. What what he w would have managed if he was in a car that didn't. And he know, didn't drive wheels. into people. He says Senna and Schumacher, you know, but sadly, both Senna and Schumacher were flawed geniuses. They both drove into cars deliberately mm. at one time or another in their career. And to me, that straight away knocks them off the top. Like really? Clark, yeah. just, I mean, Clark, Clark driving into another car it, deliberately. Do, does anyone come close to Clark in your, in your Hall of Fame? Well, Stewart. Stewart was pretty close. Moss? Oh, Moss, yeah. yeah but he never... You know, he didn't get the career that he deserved. It was always a yeah. shame. Yeah, Moss for a natural talent was Clark. I think Moss and Clark for natural talent were at the top. Yeah, Fangio. You know, yeah. when you go back, it's always hard to compare cars. Yeah. But uh, obviously, Clark was my era as a spectator. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Last couple of questions. Um, was there a specific moment in your life when you realised motor racing was going to be your life and, and be a career? Yes. Have when I I first crawled up the bank at Goodwood, aged three and got to the top of the bank that's still there, exit the chicane and peered over the top and saw these noisy, smelly cars coming out with these heroes wrestling them through the chicane. I thought, oh, I'm gonna be a racing driver. Never thought I would yeah. be, but no, that was it. Dad, Dad was a Brooklyn's fan. He used to go to Brooklyn's before the war and actually did a couple of auto tests at Brooklyn's. So uh, he took us racing to spectate. And, you know, we clung to the fences of Woodcote. Yeah. And uh, went to Brands Hatch every Boxing Day Brands Hatch. So I was a real, you know, I was a real fan. I mean, sadly nowadays you don't actually get the fan that becomes a racing driver because they start when they're eight years old because daddy yeah. buys them a cart, you know. But yeah. 
I was that genuine boy from the terraces that got to be a centre forward for a Premiership yeah. team. So, little did you know that many years later you'd be passing a nine-time Le Mans winner in in, in a Rover. <laughs> 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 Who would have thought? Uh, right, the final question: um, If you weren't involved in racing, what what would you have done? I've been a civil engineer because that's what I ended up. I was a you know I went to university at a five-year sandwich degree course. So. Uh, for you to retired when I got that Unipart Formula 3 drive. So my entire Formula Ford career, I was a civil engineer five days a week, a mechanic on my own, my little garage five nights a week. Then the weekend, I was the sponsor, the van driver, the racing driver, the mechanic. And uh, you know, I spent five years as a sort of nomadic racing weekend driver. Yeah. So civil engineer. I enjoyed it. It was a good job. Yeah. Enjoyed racing more, I think. Yes, I think when the, when the choice came to <laughs> be retired civil engineer... I was about 25 before that happened, you know, so uh, I was a full-time civil engineer until I was about 25 years old. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Tiff, thank you so much. It's been My pleasure. the most excellent um, talk show and absolutely fascinating. Um, I'd, I'd love to catch up with you as once the racing starts. And don't forget and the London Motor <laughs> Show. Or come to Thruxton for some fast laps and a BMW M4 with me, Tiffany Dell. <laughs> I want it just to end on that, actually, thanks. So I don't think my finish is going to be anywhere near as good. Alan, thank you so much. As always, Tiff, thank you very much. We'll see you all again uh, for another talk show in a month's time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. Tiff, thank you. Bye-bye for now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market